Hi friends, this is Will Dyer, the pastor here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the message that you are about to hear will give you some joy in your day. But more than that, I hope that this message will connect you to Jesus. The mission of our church is to connect people to Jesus Christ in a community of faith. And it is my greatest hope that the message you are about to hear will better connect you with Jesus and His way in the world. Good morning, friends. I am thrilled that you are watching us online and on television and worshiping with us here on this Sunday morning. And I want us to begin our time together by reading from Matthew's gospel. So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter two, and in just a moment, we will read verses one through 18. We're continuing on in our series, A View From Here, where we are looking at the Christmas story through the eyes of the minor characters, if you can put it that way. And so if you've missed anything thus far, you know where to go. You can go to our website, discoverfbc.org, or you can download our podcast so that you can stay up to date on our series. But it is right for us to begin by reading this story of God and God's people. So if you don't have your Bibles with you at home, no worries. The words are going to be on the screen and you can follow along. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen stopped when it rose, when the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. 
Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So friends, in my house, we've got a couple of Christmas traditions, but I think my favorite one of all, the one that we stick to and we try and live into this rhythm is that every single week for the seven or eight weeks leading up to Christmas, we watch a Christmas movie. And it's a variety of movies from kids movies, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, all the way up to adult Christmas movies. And one of the things that I've been paying attention to this year as I've been watching is that I think there's a common thread that runs through all of the great Christmas movies. And I think you're going to agree with me when I tell you that I think the common thread that runs through all the great Christmas movies is this, that in each and every one of them, there is always a fantastic villain. There's always a tremendous bad guy. Whether we are talking about Ebenezer Scrooge from A Christmas Carol, right? Just this terrible uh, bah humbug sort of person. If we're talking about Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life and all of, if you've not seen that movie, please just go and watch it this evening. But then we get into like modern day bad guy Christmas movies. And no doubt one of the tops on that list are Harry and Marv from Home Alone and Home Alone 2, the wet bandits. Come on, it doesn't get much worse than that. Or, or Sinbad from Jingle All the Way. And if you haven't seen that movie, like you gotta do, as soon as this uh, worship service is over, put that movie in. And all of those characters are bad, but I would say to you, categorically, the worst bad guy, the, the worst villain in all of Christmas movie history, hands down, bar none, without question, is Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber from <sighs> Die Hard. And I'm gonna let y'all argue it out in your houses whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie, but I'm gonna tell you 100% it absolutely is. And Hans Gruber is like the worst of the worst. And every Christmas story that is great has a key villain. And some of them are bad and some of them are really bad. But, but what I would say to you, friends, on this morning is that absolutely all of them pale in comparison when we start talking about the villain in the story of Jesus' birth, when we start talking about the real Christmas story. And the fundamental difference, guys, between these movies that I'm talking about and the Christmas story is that this is real life. And these are real events that happened in real time. And when you read throughout Matthew chapter two, you cannot help but walk away with this understanding that Herod 
is without question one of the greatest villains in the whole, not only of the Christmas story, but in the whole of the scripture. And on this Sunday where we talk about joy, the other thing I would want you to know is that Herod is a prime example for how we can go throughout our lives and miss the opportunity to find joy. Now, some of you, you are familiar with this section of the Christmas story, but increasingly a number of us, we just aren't. And so what I wanna do for a minute is just kind of remind you of where we are and, and what are some of the significant plot lines that are happening in those verses that I read to you. Because in Matthew's gospel, we don't hear anything about Herod in Luke's story, but in Matthew's story, we begin with Herod. And Matthew says that there were these magi or wise men is what they are also called. And they come from the east and they arrive to Herod. And what they say to Herod is, hey, we're here and we need to know where is the one who was born as the king of the Jews? Because we saw his star and we have come to worship him. Now I'm gonna dig into this in a little more detail in a few moments, but when those magi say the phrase, king of the Jews, where is he? The answer that absolutely everyone in Israel would have known is that Herod is the king of the Jews. And so when Matthew says that Herod was disturbed by what he has heard, that my friends is an absolute understatement. And so in the story, Herod says to those magi, oh, I want you to go and find him. And when you do, sure, give him the gifts you've brought and bow down and worship him. But then I want you to come back and I want you to tell me where he is so that I can go and worship him too. And the story says that the Magi go on, those wise men, they go, they find Jesus in Bethlehem and they give him the classic gifts of Christmas, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And in this telling and strange turn of events, they are warned in a dream about Herod's plot. So they go back home another route. And Herod, his true intentions now laid bare, not only for the wise men, but for us as the people who are reading this story, we find out that he never intended to go and worship this newborn king. But instead, what he was planning to do is to go and kill someone who potentially was laying claim to his throne. Because when the Magi said, who is this king of the Jews where we can find him and worship him? Herod would have been put completely on notice. And so what Herod does in this terrible scene in Matthew's story is that he goes and he orders that all boys under two years old in the city of Bethlehem and the surrounding areas to be murdered, to be killed, because he had to wipe out any rivals that might emerge. And this terrible section, this heartbreaking section that is known as the slaughter of the innocents. And for those of us that are familiar with the wide sweep of the biblical story, we cannot help but think about back in the Exodus when Pharaoh ordered that all the Hebrew boys be slaughtered when they were born. And power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. 
And for those of us who are reading this story and hearing the story in the 21st century, our minds are blown and our hearts are broken. But what I want to do this morning is to explore this character of Herod, to, to look at his life, to look at how he got to the position where he was. Because in doing so, by looking at him, what I am telling you this morning is that we, in fact, can begin to take a deep look inside of our own hearts. But we have to first understand who is he, where did he come from, and how could he have reached that moment where he would have made those decisions that he did. And the first thing that we need to understand about Herod is that he pretty much had been a politician from his teenage years. And in 40 BC, Israel was in the midst of a pretty bloody civil war and Herod saw a moment of opportunity. And stick with me for a moment, y'all. I'm gonna fly at about 30,000 feet, but we need to understand who he was and how he got into his position. Because in 40 AD, Herod saw this moment of opportunity to claim more power, to claim more authority. And in the midst of this Israelite civil war, Herod goes to Rome. And Rome is emerging as the global military superpower of the day. And he goes to the Roman Senate and he says, guys, I want you to come and help me. And we can defeat the Hasmonean army. And I can become the new king of the Jews and I will serve you. And we can all rule over this thing together. And in 40 AD or 40 BC, the Roman Senate bestows upon Herod the title of the king of the Jews. Now the problem is there's a real king, another king who's already in Israel. And so over the course of the next three years, Herod and the Romans, they engage in what is this bloodbath of a war. And finally, in 37 BC, Herod emerges along with the help of the Romans victorious. And Herod is firmly entrenched as the king of the Jews. And for the next roughly 30 years, 33, 34 years, he rules over Israel, friends, with an iron fist. If you cross Herod, you can guarantee that you will be killed. Because that's how he came to power. He came to power through violence. He came to power through brutality. He came to power in a dog-eat-dog -dog sort of world, and that, my friends, is how he ruled, and that, my friends, is how he lived. And Herod was a king who embarked on all these incredible building plans. I mean, if you go and you read the history from Josephus, what you will find is that Herod built some of the greatest wonders of the ancient world. He made the temple one of the most important places in the whole of the Mediterranean world. He built these incredible cities honoring Rome and celebrating the Caesars. But the other thing Herod did is that he built all of these fortresses scattered all across Jerusalem and the whole of Israel because he was absolutely paranoid, constantly looking over his shoulder for who was going to come, who was going to attack him, who did Herod need to kill next in order to maintain and keep his power. Guys, Herod was an absolutely ruthless ruler. Yes, he built these incredible things and he brought prosperity and wealth to Israel in a way that they had not known since the reign of King Solomon. But the fact of the matter is, if you got in his path and he thought you were a threat, he would take you out 
One of his wives, Miriam, he started to believe because she had Hasmonean blood, the old king blood. He believed that she was thinking about trying to usurp the throne. And so in the middle of the night, he had her killed. And not only did he have her killed, but what he did is they had two sons together. And rather than leave it up to chance, he decided he was going to kill both of them as well. His own flesh and blood. Y'all, this guy was absolutely ruthless. He killed anyone who got in his path, anyone who defied his orders. Five days before he died, he got word that one of his other sons was thinking about making a claim on the throne. And even on the brink of his own death, Josephus says he gets out of his bed. He orders the death of his own son yet again five days before he dies. Friends, this dude is absolutely ruthless. Augustus, the great Caesar in Rome, who was the patron, who was the one who kept Herod in power in Israel. He was quoted as saying, it is better to be Herod's pig than to be his son, because Herod would absolutely crush anyone who got in his way. <laughs> Friends, Herod was that sort of guy. And so when we understand how he came to power, when we understand how he ruled the people, then when we read this story in Matthew chapter two, it puts it in cultural context. And we understand that Herod ruled with an iron fist because that was who he was. And that's how he lived his life, a life of luxury, a life of great wealth, but also a life of brutality. And y'all, when we read this story in Matthew's gospel, when we read this story about the slaughter of the innocents with 21st century eyes, we cannot help but wonder how could someone do something like that? How is it possible that a human being could be filled with such awful instincts? How, why? Why would someone hear from a magi that a baby has been born in his in his gut impulse is well got to kill them how is it possible each and every one of us should abs absolutely be asking how is it possible that a real person in real space and real time how could they engage in such horrific activity and the fact of the matter is when you look at Herod's life when you look at how he went about doing the things that he did from rising to power until the very day of his death, what you begin to understand is that Herod was obsessed with power. Herod could not fathom the possibility that there would be a day when he was not in control. Herod could not imagine a scenario where he wasn't calling all the shots because for him, the whole goal of life was about being in charge. For the whole of his life, he strove for power. He strove for authority and he was gonna get it by any means necessary. That's how he did what he did. That's why he did what he did. And, and y'all, I want to be real careful when I make this next statement. 
I want to be real careful and I want to make sure that everybody watching on television understands that none of us, none of us could even possibly imagine doing something as terrible as what Herod did. Not just the slaughter of the innocents, but as I've told you, killing his own family members. None of us could ever reach to such depths of depravity and hatred in our own lives. And I want to be real careful that you understand that because what I'm about to say might take some of us by surprise. What I'm about to say might actually offend some of us, and, and that's okay. Because here is the crucial thing that we need to know. As we are looking at characters in the Christmas story and exploring through their eyes how we might experience the Christmas story, as I think about Herod and the life he lived and the power he craved, the authority he wanted for himself, I cannot escape the fact, my friends, that if we take a deep look down in the depths of our souls, we might be a little more like Herod than we would ever care to admit. Uh, I'm telling you, it's true that if we really take a deep look into our lives, that the way we think and the way we process reality might be a little more like Herod than any of us care to admit. And like I said, you are not going to be someone who slaughters children. You're not going to be someone who wipes out your family members because they say something that you disagree with. But we are, in fact, like Herod in this one very important and particular thing. That Herod could not imagine a scenario where he wasn't in control where Herod could not fathom a reality where he was not the most important character in the story. Friends, that is exactly how so many of us think about our own lives. And while we might be pretty clear on the fact that we're not the most important person in a country, what I would say to you is this, each and every one of us has been taught has been ingrained from the time we were born until the time we will die, that you are the most important character in your story. We are taught, it is the cultural air that we breathe each and every day of our lives, that you are the most important thing in the world that you are the center of the universe and everything revolves around you. You are taught that you are in control of your life, that you are the ultimate authority on all the decisions that you will make. Friends, this, whether or not we wanna accept it, we are taught from the day we are born that that is fundamentally a fact, that we are individual, autonomous individuals. And in the 21st century, in a culture of narcissism, unlike that which we have never seen before, we hear these incredible phrases like I've talked about a few weeks ago. You do you. You do you. I'll do what I want to do. You do what you want to do. And that's okay because you are the center of your world and I am the center of my world. I am the ultimate authority for me and you are the ultimate authority for you. And anyone who tells us otherwise is deemed hateful and backwards and primitive. And, and if you doubt me on this, friends, all I want you to do is cut on your television 
I want you to cut on your television. And when you're done, hey, maybe when you're done watching online or you're done watching on television this morning, whatever cable company you got or YouTube TV, I want you to cut it over and get it on the Hallmark Channel because y'all is 24 seven Christmas movies. And what you will find on each and every one of those Christmas movies is a woman or a man who is lost and they're trying to find their identity. And what are they ultimately told? The story of each and every Hallmark Christmas movie. It has nothing to do with a king who was born in Bethlehem, but what every single one of them has to do, and we label them Christmas movies, they, every single one of them revolves around this one central theme. Trust your heart. Trust your heart and you cannot go wrong. And at the end of every story, there is happiness and there is joy and there is finally a kiss as the story fades to black. And it is a symptom of the culture that we live in. Whether you are the most rugged man or the most feminine woman or anything in between, the culture we are taught is that you do you. You trust your heart. You are the authority. And friends, that simple fact makes us more like Herod than we could ever imagine because just like him, we cannot imagine a world where we are not in control. For him, it was in control of Israel. And for us, it is being in control of each and every minute decision that we make. There is an ultimate authority in our lives, we are told, and it is you. And the fact of the matter is, friends, when we live that way, when we think that way, when we process reality that way, it makes us more like Herod than we could ever care to imagine. Uh, earlier in the service, you got to see the Woke family. And the Woke family, this beautiful family that's recently come on staff here at our church, they lit the candle of joy. They lit the candle of joy. And joy, we believe, is one of those virtues, hope, peace, joy, and love, those four things we celebrate at Advent. We believe that because of Jesus Christ, we are able to have those things. But friends, what I want us to understand this morning is that if you want to live your life with joy, if you want to have an abiding sense that things are the way they are supposed to be, if you want to live with joy, with an understanding that this life is a good gift given by a good God, then one of the things that you have to understand is that the key to joy is properly ordering your life. The key to joy is properly ordering who is in control of what we do with our existence. And as long as we buy into the world that we live in, as long as we live with the values of our culture, then we will be first. And we, my friends, will be just like Herod. Herod couldn't fathom a world where he wasn't in control, where he wasn't number one. And here's the thing. Herod probably experienced a lot of happiness in his life. Herod probably experienced quite a bit of happiness in his life. He had lots of money. He had lots of things, but he didn't have joy. And he didn't have joy because he couldn't understand 
that he ultimately wasn't in control. And if you want to have joy, it begins by properly ordering our lives. Who is in control of your life? Who is in charge of the decisions that you make? What is the guiding principle that leads you into every single day of your life? You know what is fascinating to me, my friends, is that I know a whole lot of people that say they follow Jesus. I know a whole lot of people that come into the church almost every single Sunday or at least twice a month and they have bowed their head and they've prayed that prayer and they believe I'm going to go to heaven when I die. But the fact of the matter is they have no intention of putting Jesus in control of their lives. I know far too many people that say they are following him, but in fact, they have no intention of following Jesus. Because do not ever forget, what does Jesus say? But pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow. If you are following, that means you're not number one. That means you aren't in charge of your own life. There is someone else that sets the agenda. There is someone else that gives you the rationale for how we live. And if we want to live with joy, we need to understand how we can get there. That there is a God who is ruling over all of creation. There is his son, Jesus, who was crucified, dead and buried. And on the third day, he rose from the dead and he is ruling over all of creation. And ruling over all of creation includes your life. And if you wanna live with joy, we begin by properly ordering our lives by understanding ultimately who is in control. You know, Herod, what ended up happening to him is Herod ended up dying. He ended up dying completely alone. There's a place, it's actually in Israel, it's called the Herodium. And it's one of those vast fortresses that Herod built out in the middle of the Judean wilderness, miles and miles away from Jerusalem. Now, now it's so large that everyone could see it. But the fact of the matter is when Herod died, he was buried in the Herodium. And the story Josephus says is that when he died, just before he died, what he did is he had all the important Judeans locked up everyone who had power and prestige, he had them arrested and thrown in jail. And Herod told his sister, on the moment when I die, I want every single one of those people to be slaughtered. Because then at least on the day of my death, people will be weeping, even if it's not for me. They can't help but cry. Now, thank God on the moment that he died, his sister rescinded that order and it didn't take place. But you see, my friends, even up until the moment of his death, he could not imagine a world where he wasn't in control. And in the process, Herod missed out on an opportunity to recognize another king. Herod missed out on an opportunity to order his life in a way that would lead to joy. And he died alone and he died angry and he died a life that ultimately led to hell. And I cannot help but wonder, friends, 
How do we order our lives? And my great hope for each and every one of us is that we will see there's a little more Herod inside than we could ever imagine. And as we approach the Christmas season, we might see that baby who was born in a manger, but more than that, we might see the King of the Jews and the King of all creation. And friends, if we, if, if we would properly order our lives, if we could understand who is in fact ruling over all things, then we don't have to leave like Herod. But instead, we can live with joy. We can live with peace. We can live with hope. We can live with God. And that, my friends, is really good news. Let's take a few moments now. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for another morning where we can come and we can worship you and celebrate your goodness. So God, on, on this day, as we explore this character of Herod and how he couldn't imagine a world where he wasn't in control, God, help us to look deep down in the depths of our bones and to ask the same question. God, can we imagine a world where we actually put you first? Can we imagine a world, oh God, where as that Lord's Prayer prays, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth and in our lives. God, help us to understand the order of our life. Help us to understand for my brothers and sisters who struggle with this, God, today, may they follow you. May they follow you not only with their mind, but with the totality of their existence. God, help us to see that if we want joy, if we want joy in this earth, it begins by following you, by following Jesus and putting him in control of our lives. God, be with us as we continue to worship you now. This is our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.